This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It'll always be fun talking to Greg Wyshynski. It'll be full of laughs. We'll have some things to think about. There'll be more laughs. There'll be jokes. There'll be insults. Most good-natured. And there'll be stories. <laughs> Hello, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Jeez, it's a hell of a teaser. Can I tell you one story that kind of unnerved me yesterday in Toronto? I was uh, sitting there with <laughs> sure, my Sure, I got uh, a lifetime colleague. of those. I got a lifetime okay, of those stories. Okay, go ahead. Go <laughs> I'm sure you do. I think I've seen a couple of them. Uh, I was sitting there with my colleague, uh, Kristen Shilton, at the uh, NHL yeah. uh, uh, GM meetings at the Ritz-Carlton, no less. I got to keep a pen from the Ritz-Carlton, which is probably the highlight of the trip, mm. except for this actually nice. being the highlight of the trip. I was sitting there. We were near the men's room, so we saw a steady stream, so to speak, of people uh, oh, wow. coming in and out during the GM oh, meetings. My. And um, uh-huh. I'm just sitting there writing away as I, I normally do, and all of a sudden I feel a tap, 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 and, and I look over, and I see a brilliant white sweater, and I'm like, who, who is this? Hmm. And all of a sudden, Jeff Merrick, I hear, congratulations on your new deal. And I'm like, Gary Bettman just congratulated me on my new contract with ESPN. What is happening? (laughs) You sold out, man. You used to be Yahoo Uh, Cool. You used to be that guy. What happened to blog? Now look at you. (laughs) <laughs> I was thrilled. It was very exciting. But then immediately yeah. after that, I'm like, yeah. I don't like that he knows these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the NHL, I mean, this is, is kind of like a significant rights holder here, Greg. Like, they've kind of, like, gone in on hockey big time here, and you're kind of a big player yeah, in it. Yeah, well, that's the thing that w- And they kind of made kind of a big like... deal about all the all the announcements of the people getting re-signed. They did. I guess it was unavoidable, but it did give me that moment of pause that, you know, as I mean, we're both in rights holder land. That's no surprise to anybody. It gave me that moment of pause of being like, did he have to sign off on it? Or did did my bosses call him and were like, we regret to inform you that we're signing Greg again? <laughs> like, I don't know how it works, but it was a very surreal moment. Then I thank him for it. I mean, listen, I mean, yeah. Gary, my relationship with Gary Bettman, let's go into that for a second. My relationship with Gary Bettman has been very interesting sure. over the years. When I was a young lad, first writing on the internet for a myriad of free websites. Uh, I was very mm-hmm. mean to Gary, but I was, it was before I got, I became a real hockey writer and understood the nuance of his job. And the nuance of his job is one, he serves at the pleasure of the board of governors for the most part. And two, that we don't always understand from the outside what goes into all of the decisions that get made on the inside. And I would say that like, you know, I, I think my relationship with Bettman has, has grown more positive over the years because I understand his job better. Do I agree with everything he's done? No. Uh, you and I can go back to the great salary cap luxury tax wars of ye- of years gone by to know that yeah. I don't like everything that he's done. Yeah. But, but I do have a different perspective on the job that he's done. And, and I think that certainly has helped inform my, my criticism and praise of him over the years. There's um I it's funny too because I was at the uh, the primetime sports conference hosting a panel on Monday and Gary Batman was speaking right before our panel he had the eight o'clock slot the NHL's off to to Stockholm um oh, this was this was Tuesday I apologize Monday they were at the uh, the White House Tuesday it's off to Stockholm so uh, Brian Burke was doing the interview with Gary from eight to eight thirty and then my panel went on for for our uh, hour long talk and I, I was sitting there and watching Brian talk to Gary and a lot of it. Were Revolved around, you know, the early days when Gary Bettman took over 
really from John Ziegler, but there was that transition Gil Stein person in there who tried to navigate his way into the Hockey Hall of Fame. <clears throat> uh, but he got yeah. shut down. That was, that was a, such a weird time. Remember, remember Gil Stein's idea about only suspending players on non-game days so you keep all the stars in the game? <laughs> it's like, yeah. players don't want to work on non-game days. Like, you're doing them a favor here. But anyway... <laughs> Essentially, the league went from Ziegler to Batman. There was an awkward time there with Gilstein, but nonetheless. And so they were talking about the early days. And, you know, Brian Burke was one of uh, one of the early hires by Gary Batman. Um, and he come in from the NBA. And I know fans in, in Canada went crazy. How can they bring in an NBA guy to run the NHL, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I was thinking back, like, because I would have been in my early 20s at that point, and I'm looking mm. back on it now, and all the things that happened, like what like what must have Batman have thought he was getting into? And there's a couple <laughs> that I'm going to highlight here, and I cannot, and I cannot imagine these things happening now. Like now in the age of social media, things that Gary Batman had to see as he transitioned from the NBA into this rock and roll league of guys from, you know, a, a lot of, you know, various Canadian outposts. And I, I don't know what was going through his mind. Like, I wonder if there's a part of him that said, like, what decision have I made here? Like, what what am I doing here? It was like, you know, talking heads, you may find yourself, you may find yourself. So a couple of things early. <laughs> the first manager's meeting, you and I have talked about this one. It's a great story. The first manager's meeting that Bettman goes to, um, the Montreal Canadiens had signed some player which drove up salaries, and Bob Gainey, who would have been with the Minnesota North Stars at that point, got into it because he had to sign someone, ended up spending more uh, more money than he had originally budgeted for. And so these things play themselves out at, at managers' meetings, and there was a heated argument between Bob Gainey and Serge Savard. Now, right. there was there, there's never been any love lost between these two, and that goes back to the Montreal Canadiens days. Like even when the Habs were riding high, Gainey and Savard never really got along, and it played itself out in the first managers' meeting that Batman went to, where the 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 argument got so heated that everybody started peeling away tables and peeling away chairs, and jackets came off, and sleeves started to get rolled up, and as Bricky tells me the story, you know, Gary Bettman turned to him and said, Brian, what's going on here? And Bricky famously <laughs> said to Gary Bettman, well, Gary, you're going to see a fight. As Bob Savard <laughs> managers meeting, we're about to throw down. And then there's the, you know, you mentioned the, the luxury tax salary cap wars, you know, the 94, 95 lockout, you have Chris Chelios, Oh yeah, talking about you know how Gary Bettman has a family, and I'd be worried. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what must have gone on th- like in in the early days of of Bettman, you know, of Bettman taking over this NHL? Like, what is he thinking? He's got himself into. He's watching managers, you know, bare knuckle fights in manager meeting. He's got you know one of the best defensemen of all time threatening him and his family over a lockout. Like, I I, I can only imagine. And he'll be very diplomatic if you ask him about it now, but I can only imagine what must have been going through his head in those early days when he took over as, a, as the, well, the league's first well, commissioner, because there were presidents before, as the right, first commissioner exactly. in the NHL. And that's and that's the thing I'm trying to say about Bettman, is like, say, say what you will about the, the ultimate business the NHL has done. I mean, if you had a conversation with Alan Walsh, he would tell you that the NHL should be much more profitable than it currently is. Um, yeah. But he, what Bettman did, though, 
is like we wouldn't even be having these conversations about potential potential profitability if he didn't turn the thing into a business. And when he took it over, he it, it, he took over what was essentially a collection of white guys in the back of a steakhouse and and and, and slinging whiskey around and, and threatening to fight each other. And he turned it into a business. He he, he turned the meetings into business meetings. He turned the NHL into a business. Yeah. He he gave it structure. He pointed it towards uh, the the product that we see today. Where you know it's making billions upon billions of dollars, and and uh, gradually over time, the owners that are buying into the league end up being like the dudes in Seattle instead of being you know the people who end up on a thirty for thirty documentary. So like it's I I, I that's probably the yeah. biggest credit I'll give the dude is that he he turned the NHL, which had been a really really amateur hour gong show at times at the the executive level, oh yeah, um, into into a oh, business yeah. and into a thriving business. I think that's probably his best virtue. Well, what did the great joke used to be about the NHL? It's the only professional sports league in North America where the owners go to jail more than the players. And, and <laughs> it, it sounds like, okay, ha, ha, ha. It's a joke. But it was true. It's true. <laughs> like, it was true. If you look at the history of the league, I mean, the league started on, well, blackmail with Eddie Livingston. Yeah. Like, not blackmail, but like they, they walked away from Eddie Livingston and essentially started up a new league and just left Eddie Livingston with the, you know, holding the bag with his, with his Toronto team. But I know, I, remember, um, I know you're, I, I, uh, I was going to say, I know you're Doug a McClain hugely, I, know, the, I was going to say, I know you're a hugely busy guy, go, but did you get around to seeing the Blackberry movie? I have not seen the Blackberry movie, but I want to see the Blackberry movie. It's so, dude, the, you've seen that's it? again, Oh yeah, I've seen it, and our good, our mutual friend Jay Baruchel does a great job in the movie. But but again, the 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 stories of of the Jim Ball silly trying to end around the NHL to acquire like multiple teams is uh, it's really spelled out well in the flick. Like it's 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 pretty good. I mean, I was I was really I was tickled because the story in and of itself of what happened to BlackBerry as a device with the the growth of the iPhone and the explosion of that market. And how they didn't catch up is an interesting mm -hmm. story to begin with. But as a hockey fan, the visceral thrill of seeing Jim Ball silly losing his mind in these meetings, he's, he's trying to acquire teams and move them to Hamilton. Well, it's <laughs> If you haven't, again, I don't think this movie needs my endorsement. It's gotten great reviews. But if you haven't seen it and you're a hockey fan, uh, check it out. It's, it's yeah. It really does capture the spirit of the thing. One of the things is I've always wanted to be, like I think that there are some great documentaries uh, out there that will never get made um, just because we'll never get cameras behind the doors. Um, but like, we'll, I, th I don't think we'll ever see, although it would be fascinating. I don't think we'll ever see an arbitration case, like an actual mm. arbitration case. Like that's, that's never going to happen. No one's going to allow cameras in there. I don't think team wants it. I don't think player wants it because that can get nasty. Now it would make for a great, it would make for a great piece uh, and I think it would be appreciated by fans and probably would have a lot of flypaper to it because when you see things like that, you know, the natural sidebar is you become an even deeper fan to the sport. So as much mm -hmm. as it might be uncomfortable to put it out there publicly, it does make for better fans and your fandom lasts even longer because there's another layer that you uh, yeah. that you actually have a chance to see. But the one thing that I've always wanted to see and Doug McLean told me about this when he was manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. I don't know if Bettman still does this, but he said there was a time, and he said it was so tough, um, at managers' meetings, what Bettman would do is he would talk about the finances of the league, and he would say, 
you know, uh, you guys have messed up your salary structures and now I have to do something about it. You've let the salaries get so far out of whack and now I have to be the bad guy and do something about it. And Doug said what he would do, oh, can you only imagine, is he would go through, like you know, have the projector and the big screen up, and he'd have mm-hmm. all of the contracts for every team listed. <laughs> and so it's Columbus and, and Doug McLean would stand up and he would go through, oh man, he would go through every contract and ask the general manager oh to justify God. it. Why did you sign this player to this number? Why did you sign? Oh my God. Can you imagine how awesome that would be to see, Greg? Oh man. Tell me you wouldn't he watch is, he- that. He is a fan at heart. By the way, this reminds me of the time when Bettman told me that there was no market for sites like Cap Friendly, uh, because obviously this is something that he, even he knows fans that's, do okay. going down the. Yeah, that 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 that's one that I, I I just considering like you know how you know Cap Friendly, Puckpedia, for example, like how these sites are such amazing resources. The NHL has all of this information, accurate. And I've never understood why the NHL hasn't come up with a section like listen i'm happy for everybody at friendly and and pedia that they get to they get to do this and do a great job and it's a great resource for all of us but i've never thought why the nhl hasn't pushed harder to make part of nhl.com here are the salaries like remember when um coming out of the lockout 0405 there were two teams it was carolina and nashville and they did something that was really unique. And what they did was, and every time they signed a player in the press release, they put the salary in there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to Rutherford about it once, and he said, look, um, this is a new world. This is a salary cap world, and we need to educate our fans about how we're allocating our dollars. We're trying to help our fans understand why we're constructing our team like this yeah. and how much money we're dedicating to each player. To me, and David Poyle did the same thing in Nashville. To me, that made a, whole, a ton of sense. NHL has all this information. Why not their own version of Cap Friendly? I I don't know if... I, so, Batman's told me again in the past multiple times that he doesn't think that there's any interest in that site from a from a real fan is, traffic standpoint. Is. Like he thinks that there's a subsection of fans that go to places to check out the salaries and, and study them and whatever. And and I don't know if he's covering for the PA in this instance where like maybe they don't want the information out there. Although, listen, <laughs> where do you think we're getting it from? We're getting it from the agents, folks. Uh, so they're getting their they're ones. Putting like, the, uh... Yeah, the information out there anyway. <laughs> now, but the, the thing that you, your point though about the, the salary cap, I think is, is the same point I made to Bettman when I had this conversation with him, which is that if you're going to cap the league and you are going to make it so teams can only spend a certain amount of money and those teams are making moves based on that certain amount of money. And those fans are watching teams make these moves and wondering why they can't make better moves or different moves. Well, then if your whole modus operandi in creating all of these stat sites so I can see how many kilometers Connor McDavid has skated in a week should also be in the storytelling function <laughs> of telling me why the devils can't spend X number yeah. of dollars to bring back player Y, you know what I mean? Like, that's the point is that if, if your whole thing is like trying to educate fans and, and create storytelling purposes and, 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 and allow them to immerse themselves in all of the totality of NHL lore, well, part of that lore is seeing how much money your team is spending and seeing who's on LTIR mm-hmm. and knowing how much money they have available at the salary cap. And these are all functions being done by third parties right now. And there's absolutely no reason why the NHL shouldn't yeah. be having that information on their own website, unless there's something we don't know about, or unless again, 
It's just Gary Bettman doesn't believe that there's a market for it. Um, a couple of things. Uh, and I want to see if we can get to Sweden here because I got a couple of questions for you about hockey in Sweden and Swedish hockey players. Uh, but All before right. we get there, you want to have a whack at the three-on-three pinata? Like, is this, is this <laughs> really that much of an issue? Is three-on-three three really not. that bad? Like, I know it's changed. Like, it's, it's gone from five minutes of sprints to, like, there's more neutral zone. Now, there's more neutral zone regroups, but let me, let me couch it one specific way. There was in the, I think it was the first year of the three on three, there was a Detroit Ottawa game, which was five minutes of chaos that I'll probably never experience again. I'm glad I got to watch it because for me, it might have been the best three on three game that I've seen. It was crossbars, big saves, uh, line changes leading to odd man rushes. I don't think there were any whistles, just a great overtime. Uh, but having said that, I watched a Minnesota Buffalo game last year that went into OT that from a from a pace point of view it had everything it was almost like i'm gonna get like way ahead of myself here and i'm gonna say something dumb but it's like grant me this dumb analogy it was like a mm-hmm. symphony it was like oh. the melody rises and fades away and rises again and turns into something else and circles back into what it was before and then vanishes and vamps and comes back and there is a thrilling conclusion like it was beautiful it was gorgeous, but there's there's two different kinds of, of, of great overtimes. Like, I love the punk rock sprint back and forth, and then I love the symphonic sort of interplay between offense and defense and re- regrouping and and uh, and sprints and pulling back and great saves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know that there's as big a problem as people want to make it. What do you think? First of all, your description of a symphony makes me miss Doc Emmerich because that's – that's how he used to, that's his play by play style. Like he's play if you've ever heard a Doc yes, Embrick yes. thing, it's 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 um I think a couple things about this. First of all, it's not a problem. And I'll tell you why it's not a problem. Three on three overtime. I spoke with uh, Bill Armstrong, the GM of the Arizona Coyotes yesterday in Toronto. And he he said something that I think is the important thesis statement about the three on three overtime, which is that it exists to prevent us from having to go to the shootout. That was the reason Ken Holland backed it as an idea. It's the reason why the NHL adopted it as an idea. It was because we don't like shootouts, but we understand they may be a necessary evil because we can't play five-hour games in the regular season. So here is a way to try to generate ways to end the game uh, in overtime before we get to the shootout. Now, if that is the function of the three-on-three, guess what? We don't have a problem. 69% of the games that ended with a regulation tie last year ended in the three on three. That is the highest percentage of games that were tied after regulation that ended in overtime before a shootout that we've had since we got the shootout. So the three on three, if you are to look at it as its basic function, which is don't let it get to a shootout, it's doing a hell of a job. The second thing is for all this talk about, for all this talk about like not having people regroup in their own zone, trying to maybe put a clock on it so they have to advance from their zone, like all this stuff, just stop. You're overcomplicating it. Just incentivize winning in the three-on-three. If you go three points for regulation, like we've all wanted forever, and then you could even go three points in the three-on-three because it's still hockey. You're still making passes. You're still taking shots. You still got teammates on the ice with you, like in the shootout. Then you are incentivized to try to win and grab those two extra points, and then you go to two-and-one in the shootout. Okay, so I think that 
I understand what you're trying to say about incentivizing it. I just don't think that it'll change the nature of the play because teams will still be looking. This one of the problems is here. They're just trying to set up the perfect shot. Okay? Right, like they're set. They're trying to get in a position to take the highest percentage shot possible. So that's not going to get rid of the idea of like the slow play in the neutral zone and the regroups and all that. I don't care. Even if even if there's an extra point on the board, they're not going to play differently. As a matter of fact, it'll reinforce that they play the same way because there's an importance here because there's more at stake um, than ever before. So more than ever, they're going to play conservatively. Like I, I would actually argue the other thing. You need to make the overtime so so low in value. You just say, screw it. Just throw the guys out there. The coaches are going to go to the room. You guys sort it out on the ice. Do your own line changes. <laughs> do your own strategy. Get rid of the co- get rid of the coaches. But, you know, so I was making see, this point off the top of the show. It's like no. the, the the early days. The early days of overtime, coaches didn't know what to do with it, so it was fun. The players just sprinted and made bad decisions. Now they all make good decisions, and by that I mean boring decisions. You got to set up for the perfect shot. I don't care how many points you put on there. An extra two points, an extra three points, an extra five points. No one's going to change the way that they play just because they can pick up a, they can pick up more points. It doesn't work. First of all, I think they'll still just I, I try think, to I think, set up, try to set up the best shot. You're you're shortchanging how much the players have influenced three on three and and their cautiousness and their their patience and their own regrouping. I don't necessarily think it's a coach screaming regroup from the bench. I think these guys are playing a certain style that they think <laughs> is going to be effective. But but look, like look, I listen, I understand what you're saying. I understand the the consternation that people have about there being too much delay and too much uh waiting around in your own zone on in the three on three. But the the sheer fact of it is it is constructed so when something does happen it keeps happening. It's not as if somebody takes a shot on goal, the other team gains possession, and then they just wait it out. Like the if you gain possession in you yeah. in the in the defensive zone, you're not skating behind your own net and then waiting 30 seconds. You're going the other way. So the the, the thing yeah. I love about the three on three is for all of the talk about the stagnation, for all the talk about the predictability, you know, for all the talk about how much time they spend in their own zone waiting for changes and, and using the long line change, which by the way could also be something they remedy, just change who's changing where in overtime so it's not about tiring out the defense. For all that talk, the minute somebody misses a shot, off we go, baby. <laughs> like we we're out of a we're shot out of Boomer the Cannon from Columbus lore. Now yeah. uh, when when somebody misses a shot, <laughs> yeah, that's listen. That leads to the two on one the other way. Yeah, right. So I don't two think on we're one in crisis. The other way. I was so I was a little surprised to hear all that talk uh, yesterday. Yeah, uh, you know about. What are we going to do about the three-on-three? And they are going to study it, and they are going to look at it, and I'm sure they'll come up with some solution for the regroups because they they inherently want it to be more kinetic than it is. But again, like if you are to look at the basic function of three-on-three, it is it is working. And if you watch the three-on-three, while it's not five minutes of chaos, it's like two and a half minutes of chaos, two fifteen. It's real good. Yeah, let me. <laughs> it's I'm, real I'm good. What I'm curious about, and this and this this sort of hints at this idea that. You know, I think great off-season programming would be R&D camp, just to workshop different ideas for what you can do in hockey. I wonder how different this would be. Instead of three-on-three overtime, you do four-on-four overtime with no icings and no offsides. And just video game it up, and then you could have somebody goal hanging down at the the other zone, and yeah. you could even play yeah. it, you know, four on three. I, I love decision to make. I, you know, I, I, I in a, it's a in decision a, to we'll make. We'll have a larger conversation. We'll have a larger conversation about this at some point. But I used to be a uh, 
no offsides. That's insane, guy. And then uh, Dmitry Filipovich turned me around that once about <laughs> the idea of how how exciting and different hockey could be if you did get rid of offsides. And I'm like, you know what? This might got it's coming up a point. Um, my my solution for all of it, three on three shootout, whatever. My solution for all of it is just use what's happening in the game already to end your game properly. And I don't care if you want to make it a five-on-two power play, a five-on-three power play. Just trade off power plays until you got a winner. If you want to use that to, to replace the shootout, uh, that'd be fine by me. If you want to use it to replace all of overtime, that'd be fine by me. Give You could even make it where you give somebody home ice advantage, the total advantage, where if they score on their first power play in overtime, game's over. Do whatever you want. I just think that there, like you said, there are other ways to incorporate the fundamental basics of the game you just saw uh, and, and make it a mm-hmm. little bit more palatable. But again, that's to say that there are other solutions to what is what I don't think is a problem. I don't want to see shootouts. Mm. The overtime is preventing me from seeing shootouts 69% of the time. It's doing great. Keep doing it. You you are allowed to change the channel. You are allowed to watch something else. I've legitimately walked out on a shootout. Have I told you this? (laughs) <laughs> i believe it i know you you yeah you despise i was with i was i was with my dad i'm just like let's let's beat the traffic i don't care about this they got the point like if they get another one that'd be super fun and we'll watch it on tv on the way back i i, I legitimately i turn off the channel for the shootout <laughs> and i know i know that's i know people like the shootout i know there's people who love the highlights i i gotta tell you man maybe it's just a function of doing this job and seeing a lot of hockey uh i'm not jaded about a lot of things but i am jaded about the shootout because it is so monotonous and predictable now yeah. that I just don't, I don't, I think it is like, it's gone from being like an inefficient way to end a game to being the absolute boringest way to end a game. I, I It really has. Hmm. It's devalued penalty shots too. Remember once upon a time we said it's the most exciting play in hockey and now it's like, hmm, shrug. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we've seen it before. Oh, what is TJ Oshie going to do in, in a penalty like, shot? Oh, I, I, I bet I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's, um... Let's see what's uh what's UC Jokinen gonna do in this penalty shot here? Hmm. Oh boy, I wonder what Jokinen's got <laughs> guys, up to leave. Um, guys, real, guys, 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 watch this, watch this. Kuznetsov, he he's gonna start really, really slowly, <laughs> and then he's gonna stay slow. I bet he does this. I, I've seen it before. I bet he does this. <laughs> and he's gonna speed up right at the end, and he's gonna score. And the goalie's gonna go. Ah, how did I not see that? Ah, um, Quickly, before uh, before we wrap here, uh, I got Rich Peverly coming up on on the other side. I'm gonna ask him about oh, wow. uh, the three on three as someone who uh, both played and you know as a as a future general manager because I think Peverly's gonna be a GM one day. I'm curious what he thinks on on all of this. We need to get Peverly on record before he becomes a GM. Well, back in 2023, <laughs> you said this. Um, I want to ask you about the uh, the Global Series, and there are four teams yeah. that are on the way. Well, four teams that are there. It's Minnesota, Detroit, Toronto, and Ottawa. Um, I was having a conversation with Bunkus this morning on 590 about the face of Swedish hockey, and that has mm. changed over the years. You know, where once upon a time it was Nick Lidstrom, once upon a time it was Borja Salming, uh, it was Matt Sundin. Is there a face of Swedish hockey right now? Like, if you look at all active players, and yes, Nicholas Backstrom still is technically active, even though he's taking a pause. He's a leading scorer amongst all Swedish players right now. It's a 1,033 points. Um, there's yeah. Eric Carlson. There's Victor Hedman. There is William Nylander. Like, is there an obvious face of Swedish hockey right now? And I'll throw another one out at you. 
Who's the best Swedish hockey player of all time? Lidstrom. For me. Not I mean, only. I, I think, I think, not only. I think not it, only. Not only will yeah. I say that Lidstrom is the best Swedish hockey player of all time. I'll go you one step further. Cover your ears, Boston. He's oh, the best defenseman this. of all time. Yes! I knew there was a reason you and I are friends. Really putting the verses at MPSW <laughs> today, true. aren't we? Where we both have the hot take yeah, that I Nick know, Lidstrom's eh? the best defenseman of all time. I completely agree, by the way. Um, who's the face of it now? So, was it was Hedman never the face of Swedish hockey at any point, or was he overshadowed Not by Carl? Really, but yeah, but he, but here's the thing: like as a kid, like I, I can remember hearing about like as as Hedman as a kid, like all the talk was like, yeah, Lidstrom's great, but there's an even better Lidstrom coming in Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. that was all the all the talk. Now I think Rasmus Dahlin has the potential to become the face of Swedish hockey so, eventually. I think we have to throw Elias Pettersson into this conversation. Elias Pettersson as for well. me would be a, but a, is, a is, big there's, one. Like there's, wanna... there's, there's, well, he's the well, he's the best one, right? He's the yeah. best. But that, does that make him the face of Swedish hockey? You understand like the, the distinction? Like I know I'm splitting hairs well, here, but is there a there's a distinction there? Well, Do you know what I mean? He, yeah, and the, the, here's the problem with with this entire thought exercise. The face of Swedish hockey is established by wearing the three crowns on your beautiful blue or gold jersey in international competition. And we haven't had that in a long time with the NHL players. So when you ask me who's the face of Swedish hockey, you know who I thought of first? I thought of newly enshrined Hall of Famer Henrik Lundqvist raising his arms in the air, wearing the Swedish kit, yeah. winning a gold medal in, yep. in, 20, in 2006. Like... The face of yep. whatever nation in hockey is going to be established by what they do on the international stage. I mean, there is a very good chance that when the Americans do win gold in Italy, that Jack Hughes becomes the face of American hockey because he'll have, you know, scored <laughs> 15 points in the tournament. Uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I think we'll find out who the face of Swedish hockey is in a few years. But I would say Pedersen probably for me has the inside track right now because... I think, like you said, he's got the most upward mobility of of, of any player. Maybe out, maybe Deleen yeah. ha- is is in the conversation just because his ceiling is pretty high. But but Pedersen, I mean, God, he could maybe win the heart this year if it keeps going the way it is. Uh, everybody on Vancouver is winning award. I think they're creating some new awards just so everybody can get an award because whether it's Tomkid, well, whether it's Demko, my, whether it's Hughes, like everybody's getting an thing award is, in Vancouver so far. My thing is that Pedersen's going to win the Selkie, and it's going to be the Ryan O'Reilly thing again, where he gets that as the de facto heart because there'll be somebody else who wins the heart, like Pasternak or somebody. Mm, I thought JT Miller was ticketed for Selkie. Okay, we got to hustle. Um, Rich Peverly <laughs> on the other side. Wish you have a great seven days. Um, yeah. You be well. Uh, more MVSW in seven days, Greg Wishins. You have a great week. Say hi to Arda as always. Will do. Thanks, everybody.